holiday haze. Or do you, holidays. holidays. We got it together, you guys. Giggity? Wait, what? <laughs> I'm gonna have to pull some trigger on some windows in the new year here. My dude, upgrading the windows is a wonderful thing. Should we make that our lead in to our final episode of the year, episode 188? We were gamers, a podcast about house upgrades. Sometimes, yeah, totally true. Hi guys, welcome to this. Bye. This will be actually not our last episode of the new year. I just... No, it is. Okay, good. It is. Yeah. Comes out on the 31st. No. Comes out on the 1st. No, it comes out... It'll be the first episode of the new year. First Correct. episode. Oh, God. The, the, the episode... The Whoops. last episode of the year already is out. So y'all heard it already. Whoops. Hello. Welcome to We Were Gamers, the podcast. Episode 188. The first episode of a new year. I think I'm just going to leave all that other stuff on brand. Yeah. <laughs> no, no counting. Michael, hello. Hey, friend. JJ, hello. Hello. Welcome to a new year. Happy holidays. Yeah, yeah man. Li- listen to the pre-show for that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in early. When they couldn't have possibly done that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, we're recording this in the old year, the, the year 2019, uh, which is currently not the end of a decade. But by the time you hear this, it will be a new decade. And so this is our Decathon podcast. Is that a correct usage? Not probably. Not. Anyway. Hi, guys. We'd like to talk about a few things that ended this decade or maybe started this decade and we thought were kind of important. And so I'd like to lead it off by saying last decade was a big one (laughs) for the Nintendo DS, which started in 2004. But this one was a big one for the Nintendo 3DS, which is arguably the same platform that lasted for over... I can't do that math. 15 years before really it was a dead platform? Well, the 3D, I think the 3DS hit uh, just about a decade. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was a bit... I don't think any 3DS games came out this year, or if they did, maybe there was one okay. or two. So, yeah, so it's been so. dead dead for a couple of years. But, like, yeah, it's it's a, it's its own thing for sure. And, uh... I feel like it had the strongest momentum in this decade, maybe, versus the DS was popular, but kind of a niche thing unless you were in Japan until the 3DS hit and then the thing exploded. There was definitely a sizable amount of DS sold in the US, but yeah, I think the 3DS felt like it was bigger for sure. And I think at the end of a, of a, a run of years like that, it's at least worth mentioning the machine that worked so hard to keep Nintendo in the game when this decade they struggled with their launch of a Wii successor with the Wii U, right? Yeah, 
certainly the Wii U did not do really good at all. <laughs> Sophisticated I answer. I don't know what the numbers are, but it's like, you know, uh, what was the Smash game? I can't remember. Smash 4? Smash What's 4, the, probably, yeah. What was the name of it? Smash Brothers 4 Smash something? Smash anyway, Brothers whatever. Forever. Anyway, that game uh, <laughs> was probably the best-selling game on it, and it didn't even sell 10 million copies, which that's a that's a low number. The Switch outsold the Wii U within a month, right? Yeah, something or like something, that. Something yeah, insane. A couple like months. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, lifetime sales. That's crazy to me. So you know, the 3DS really kept Nintendo afloat, especially during that kind of rough patch. And uh, I thought, you know, maybe JJ, it's not as much your bag as Michael and I, who at a certain point during this console generation, I wasn't current at all, and the 3DS would have been my only console. That I was actively playing. Yep. I was right there with you. Yeah. That that and my PC. You know, I had a... The PS4 is on its way out. I'm still on a PS3. Uh, until I was still on a PS3 until Black Friday this year. And <laughs> so that puts me a whole platform behind. Never bought an Xbox. But it always felt like, oh, well, I have the 3DS. I have the thing that has the hard to find and play on other platforms thing because it was such a unique dual screen device that had a, you know, the 3d element once the 3ds was locked in. So you couldn't play the games really anywhere else unless you were emulating. And then if they, I mean, Michael, maybe you emulate 3ds. I I don't, or DS anyway. Yeah. I have a, a DS emulator. How hard is that to do on a PC in terms of its functionality? Um, most of the functionality works pretty well. Uh, the DS did have a couple of games that made weird use of the microphone. <laughs> so you had to, um, you had to like blow at the microphone port for some games to simulate whatever they wanted you to simulate. And it didn't, there wasn't a good m- that didn't translate well when you're playing it on an emulator on a desktop. Got it. I think there's also one DS game I can recall that requires you to close the lid. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm. It's probably the same game. Actually, you might be right. It's probably WarioWare. That's what sounds like a WarioWare stuff. Oh, um, I'm not thinking of WarioWare. The one I was thinking of was one of the inside Mario and Luigi Inside story. Inside story. Okay, uh, I think we're all thinking of different ones. Then I was thinking of <laughs> one of the uh, the Zeldas. Oh, okay. Well, mm. There you go. So I don't know. Maybe uh, as we inscribe the tombstone of the DS here, maybe we should tell people what games were on them that we really, truly were attached to, or for some reason stood out. So are we talking DS or 3DS here? Um. Well, 3DS was this. This. The, hmm. They all run, so pick whatever you want. But I, I went 3DS because that was this decade. Um, but but mostly because even though I liked a lot of the DS games, the DS came around at the same time as the PSP and the PS Vita. Um, I still had active consoles while the DS was out, so the 3DS games stick out to me more personally. Okay, I'm just okay. yeah. 
Uh, so I'll go first then, since it just kind of explained my thought process there. Um, and to me, it was the re releases of Ocarina and Majora's Mask in 3D on a tiny little console. And while it's kind of not unique because I can go play those on a on a Wii or Wii U, I think Virtual Console, both of those had them. Something about having a little tiny device with a new 3D thing on it and playing the game that I used to stay up in the middle of the night playing. Instead, I could play it at downtime at work. Something about that was kind of special. It was weird. It made me attached to my 3DS in a way I wasn't before those games came out. So those are the ones that I think especially for people that maybe never even played them. The Nintendo 64 is starting to be a system that uh, predates some gamers, let's say. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Showing uh, our age a little bit. Yeah. We're we're turning into the boomers of gamers here. Uh-oh. Watch out. <laughs> All right, Michael, what one stood out to you? Or um, I think I would have to go with a, rather than any one particular game, a series uh, because I really enjoyed all of the Professor Layton games. Uh, they date back all the way to the launch of the console. Yeah, they spanned the entire, basically the entire life cycle of the the D. I think they started on DS actually. Uh, the more recent ones were for were for 3DS, um, but they were just they're really well put together games. Um, they're super engaging. They made, they made really good use of the, the dual screen. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. What else? The art, the art style was really enjoyable for all of those. And, uh, I just, I found all of them engrossing. Plus I, I always liked the puzzles. I feel like those games are definitely an example of something that is probably not ever going to get ported anywhere else. Or if it does, it's just going to be, you know, other handheld type consoles, you know, like the Switch or something. You're never going to see that show up on PC. I think it would be hard to port it somewhere else just because of the way that they made the two screens distinct. They've dragged right. the series into mobile, but it's they're not the same. They, I mean, distinctly not the same. Yeah. And that's, yep. you know, man, lost <laughs> legacy there. A little bit, I think. I think that I think that's a good point, JJ, uh, that you may have made accidentally here, is that while the library for this system is huge, unlike the SNES where maybe the the bad games fell off and the good games rose to the top, and the good ones are a notably not small library, but, but they're not unattainable, right? Yeah, it, well, if you're talking about the carts, those are getting harder and harder to find. But the the games usually are good enough, and the best ones are in demand such that the various rights holders of them have managed to bring them out on other places that are more accessible. Yeah, but the first Professor Layton, or this doesn't quite apply because Phoenix Wright has been ported. Yeah, some of them. Some of them. Um, but the Phoenix Wright series or some of those Fire Emblem games that people the older really ones, love. Yeah. Um, there's the 
um, Advance Wars series that I can think of that people love. There's a huge library of good games on this that may have found more uh, diehard audiences in each category that they were in. And so when new games are starting to come out, like Wargroove came out this past year and everyone's like, oh, this is a great replacement for Advance Wars. Well, the DS library is so huge that maybe the demand is there for the the people that love Advance Wars, but probably not for keeping alive every single good game that came out on this console. It, so, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Lost Legacy across the board for some stuff, including Layton here. But what about you? Yeah. So I think the... I think there's... like I kind of want to go two directions. There's like the single best game that I think I played, and then there's a a trend that I think started on this system that I really like. So I'll, we'll say the game first. And I think that's, uh, we talked about it a little bit in the past, but it's uh, a link to the past or a uh, link between worlds. Sorry. Legend of Zelda <laughs> link between go. worlds. Uh, and I think honestly, if you're going to play one game on this system, you should play that one. It's the, probably the, it came out very late in the 3DS's life, but it is a really wonderful, fun Zelda game. And it is just, Mm, the callbacks, so good. Everything about that game is great. Uh, I won't even talk about it anymore. Uh, people should go play it. That's how good it is. The thing that I wanted to talk about here is that the 3DS, like the trend is, they kind of started this like revival of tactics games, or at least a more popularizing of the style of them. You know that Fire Emblem game, Michael, that you and I like? Yeah. <laughs> that game was nothing in the West. It didn't even come out. They didn't bring them out ever. And then whenever they published Awakening, was that a 3DS game or was it a 2DS game or a um, DS game? Awakening was 3DS. There was two okay. previous DS Fire Emblems, though, I believe. Right, but they didn't do it the way Awakening did. Yeah, Awakening, and Awakening really is the one. Everybody. Awakening is the one that blew up in the like Western you know, Europe and U.S. side. Yeah. And then after that game, Fire Emblem has become a phenomenon. And, in the yeah, West. I mean, just, in the West, right. And it, it was always very popular in Japan. Uh, but, yeah, and that trend has been really good. It, you have seen with the popularity of Fire Emblem and other tactics games, you know, sort of the rising tide lifting all boats here. Uh, and tons and tons of tactics stuff spawned because of the popularity of those games. And, I mean, you know, Michael and I can attest, we love Fire Emblem. So, yeah. uh, and Andrew, you love Fire Emblem too. It's just the, the time. <laughs> yeah, the time, man. And some sometimes earlier Fire Emblem especially. Uh, oh. Three Houses may not. I have not tried Three Houses yet, but from your few episodes that we've actually covered three houses it seems like they've definitely decided to scale back what was a very in-depth and nuanced and unforgiving tactics game yeah there's definitely so the newer games right they took the the thing that always made fire emblem the way it was right was you know you lose this character dies they're just dead that's it in the newer games, they were like, but what if you had the option to play in a mode where that doesn't happen? <laughs> and then people were like, oh, this is much more fun. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, 
and in a lot of cases, yeah, they've maybe tweaked the combat systems or whatever. You know, we we talked at length on this podcast about how maybe three houses could use a little more difficulty in the way its combat works. But a, a lot of it is just because I have now gotten used to all the systems. I understand the weapon triangle. I can win without it. Like I know how to play. And so the, the combat becomes a little rote at that point. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but the fact that these games are popular enough that they are willing to experiment with the formula in the first place is already the thing that I'm super excited about. And that was a great thing that this system did. I I mean, even the, uh, the tactics games that they brought through. Yeah. I, I You brought up a great point. I, I'm just flabbergasted because I hadn't thought of it before. And I, I, I really appreciate you bringing it up. Because the tactics games they brought through didn't just stop there. Other people brought them to other consoles. I mean, they had a Final Fantasy twelve tactics game for this because people were like, hey, wow. You know, like, we'll take tactics mm-hmm. in any way we can get it. And any nuanced differences between them would drag in different fans and new fans. Uh, that's a really good point, man. Yeah. So I think the that, to me, is the... At least the the like obvious trend line pointing out and away from the the console's legacy, but you know, I mean, if you just want to talk about like great games, of course, there's eight million other ones than even the ones we just mentioned. So I think that we missed talking about something here with, especially with the 3ds, maybe that Michael and I experienced pretty thoroughly. That I'm glad that they continue to do, and they've done started to do with the Switch already, which is quirky stuff that they are not afraid to try and with the 3ds that was street pass and street pass games yep yeah i wondered if you were going to mention this yeah and as much as like i played more street pass games than i did of the time that i played those 3d legend of zeldas that i talk about they made me attached to my 3ds 3ds later on but i had already played those other games right um they were weird you got a full RPG game about crossbreeding flowers <laughs> mm-hmm. that you yep. that you had to get better at by walking around conventions with your DS. Like, who who thinks of that? <laughs> you know. But they they came up with a way to make you care about it. Yeah, which is not an easy feat. I think they understood. You know, hey, wow, people get really attached to these things. Like. Some people own two or three of them. We need to, you know, play off of that attachment and make sure when they have them with them, they feel like they're getting rewarded for that. And I think based on some of the reviews I've read of this new Ring Fit game, um, talking to Ryan about it, they're doing the same kind of thing. Like, you feel rewarded for owning that Nintendo product, right? Yeah, and I think I think in some ways, too, it might have been a little bit prescient. Um in sensing the the social direction that gaming was headed i think i think that's a pretty good point michael the you know in japan a there's a, a lot of commuter culture right like everyone commutes to work in japan or it's a or it's done a lot more right and there's a lot more public transit use and so you have time during your commute to use like a handheld game system but it definitely, with all the street passing and all this stuff, it definitely creates out of this group of people you don't really know, 
kind of this little community, you know? And mm-hmm. if you keep passing by the same people every day, eventually you're going to be like, okay, when I get to this train station, I'm going to pass by this guy and he's going to have his thing and we can level up our people together, you know? It's a, it was a really smart idea as a way to create a almost a social network out of a physical space. And a more wholesomely done version of something that later would become a mobile trend of, well, all your friends are leveling up. Don't you want to pay money to level up with them? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's only because it requires the physical proximity. uh, It kind of then limits the use for people who aren't within physical proximity to other people. Right. Mm hmm. So it, it's a great – the idea of the system is good, but you can't really use it effectively if you don't live in, like, let's say, a major urban area. Because really the chance of you street passing someone – I mean, today the chance of you street passing someone is basically zero anywhere. But if you, <laughs> even if you uh, – you know, in the in the heyday, you would need to be in an area with lots of people. Like Andrew said, conventions, right? That's yeah. where we did yeah, most of ours. Right? You couldn't, you couldn't get through your street passes fast enough. And in, the, in fact, some people sat at conventions and just did street pass. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Which was, it's fun. It's fun to see. I, I don't think we'll see something like it again. I I think that mobile phones have gotten have gotten to be too much of a presence. Yep. Yeah, the ubiquity of mobile phones really just makes this thing unnecessary. So, you know, the Nintendo has been releasing phone games. Um man, <laughs> so, what a some of those have been. Um so, you know, hopefully they figure it out in the way that it took them a while to figure out handheld consoles. All right. That was our epitaph to the 3DS and also a way for me not to have to pick the 3DS as my thing of the decade. (laughs) (laughs) But I do want to, yeah, talk about what we think was our thing of the decade. And frankly, I am completely clueless as to how you guys approached picking a thing of the decade for me personally and i want to before we start them how did you pick i i looked at something that affected my gaming and life personally more than the thing i liked most do you know what i mean like the thing that i found to be the most present this decade in gaming and something that i i think about quite a bit Okay. Uh I'll go. I think Actually, I think the the real answer to this question is that the thing of the decade probably well, certainly for me and almost certainly for both of you is really like the stuff that happened in our lives outside of gaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I believe all of us got married. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh some of us had children. And, you know, was, moved and yeah. all kinds of stuff. And uh-huh. that is really the stuff that is the thing of the decade. So, you know, uh, so from that perspective, right, like I didn't want to focus only on myself because if I did that, I'm just going to name three things that have nothing to do with gaming <laughs> because really <laughs> that's not the thing that's important. Um, I like that you brought that up. I, good point. Uh, I kind yeah, of I mean, left it unsaid that personally – 
obviously the the decade was a really good one and gaming had very well not no part i mean gaming is three years of this podcast is gaming and that's if i'm picking things personally in my life that i look at for the last 10 years yeah married moved had children but also made sure to keep connected with friends because of gaming through a podcast and so good point props yeah yeah i just want to say that uh, that up top before we now go talk about gaming stuff that like really the answer you know is our our lovely wives and and children and whatever else family all that stuff that's the real answer hold on family dom family exactly family (laughs) uh so so then you know ignoring that answer Uh, that's that's it happy new year moving on happy new year it was fun all done all right decade guys podcast over (laughs) uh so then i was thinking of like okay well like what are some things that happened in this decade that really i think were like i don't know if momentous but like things that have effects right like kind of like how i was thinking or like big impacts or something like that got it and Sort of how I thought about the 3DS. Um, I kind of tried to apply that here. Okay. And Michael? Uh, I think I had kind of a similar approach. Just like things that um, over the course, I tried to look at it from uh, a beginning to end and things that had a big impact on um, gaming, pop culture, um, in some ways like social consciousness. Who wants to be the one that screws up first? <laughs> oh boy, I'll take it. I'll take it. All right, you want to go? Lead us. It's uh this is a it's a theme because I won't be able to say everything that's attached to this theme, but it's something I want to talk about overall. And that is the transformation of gaming around the idea of cosmetics, limited time items, limited platform items, and microtransactions. Yep. And how the last decade was about massive AAA gaming that people waited overnight for, like the the Halo game. And this decade is about getting people to spend $1.99 a month on their phones for Halo. Free to play, right? Yeah, I so, think. I, I, yeah, go ahead. So I, I, I mention it because it has, some people would say destroyed, and other people would say transform, and other people would say a thousand different other things, depending on where you are in your, your life cycle of being a gamer, a war gamer, a going to be gamer, <laughs> a game developer, a business person in gaming. You know what I mean? Like. Every single person is going to have a different idea about, okay, well, cosmetics that aren't in loot boxes, cosmetic that are in loot boxes, limited time items, promotional items for stores and platforms, and the idea that a game should be funded not on a, a complete price tag for a complete product, but instead a, a live game that is developed in tandem with income for the things that are made, a la either microtransactions or unlockables or stuff like that. And and knowing where games came from, 
spending X dollars for X product to where we are now. I personally have gone from vehement hatred of certain items to ex- reluctant acceptance that this is the way that things are to personal as in myself uh transformation and acceptance of things that I can't control like trying to collect all of something right in in growing up as a comic book nerd I would try to collect all of something. And for the first five years of this decade, every time a new game came out that I wanted to play, if they had these types of items and things going on, I had to try and get all of them. Mass Effect came out in 2011, I think. Mass Effect 2. Okay, I was going to say the first mm-hmm. one I think is older than that. But yeah, yeah, I think the first one is like 2008 or nine. That sounds right. And then the the second one was like 2011, and that was one of the ones that was a AAA title. And I waited overnight at a GameStop for it. But I waited overnight at a GameStop for it and also pre-ordered it at Best Buy because it was one of the first games that, well, if you bought it there, you got this item. And if you bought it there, you got this item. And if you downloaded it within the first week, you got another item. And you all had to create a Bioware account to link all these codes and, you know, Six years later, if if you buy the complete pack for Mass Effect, all these items are in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it was the first-ish big title that had all this stuff, and, and being a huge Mass Effect 1 fan and the hype around it, and the comic book collector in me said I had to track down all these items. And that trend, as you guys personally and everyone listening to this podcast even knows, Lasted all the way through Hearthstone when I would say I had to collect all the card backs and every, you know, Blizzard item I was buying, Blizzard games I didn't even play to get Blizzard items for other games. And uh, I would have to say that despite the what you guys might want to say after I'm done here about this trend, it has through sheer personal responsibility of getting older because of the things maybe JJ that you even mentioned at the top of this growing for a decade and saying hey uh, this is a new life now with a new spouse with a new family with a new house and these are the things you're responsible for not trying to get cosmetic items once a month in Overwatch that you're not even going to look at so that's why I would pick that trend of things. But I'm curious what you guys think of those. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. Um, I, I was going to ask, do you see, and, and EA is the specific example that I, I have in mind, but there are other examples. Do you see anything of a slowing down coming in that trend given the pushback in some arenas from the fans, given the new legal structures that are being put in place in some countries, do you think that the next decade will see a step back from that trend? Personally, I yeah. hope so. I, I really do. I, I think that 
we saw with the new Star Wars game that came out. Sure, if you pre-ordered it, you got an item. But that's circa 2008 stuff. It's nothing new. Um, but I think the space for people, and I hope a lot of people that listen to this podcast, that aren't going to buy it day one and don't care about microtransactions, is the market is regrowing for those people that say, I want the complete experience. Put the right price tag on it. I think yeah. you, you did hit the nail there at the end. The answer is the price tag. And I think, Andrew, this is a great comment. However, you may have mistaken a tree for the forest here. In that this is a symptom of a bigger thing going on in gaming. Mm-hmm. Or at least I at least I see it that way. It, it is a this is a symptom of development cost in gaming to make these kinds of triple A large budget games has spiraled up for the last two generations, starting at the PS two and the end of that era. Um less so with the Wii and the Wii U, but going forward in the Switch and these PS4s and God knows whatever else comes next. And the PC, the graphic fidelity and the pursuit of that stuff is ludicrously expensive. And the chasing of that money just makes things cost more and more and more. And you can't sustain that at a $60 price tag. Like, the answer to solve these problems, to remove these things, they should be charging $80, $100 for some of these games. Mm-hmm. And but no, one, no one wants to move off that, that $60 mark. Exactly, Michael. And so, you know, the right price, maybe, in a lot of these cases, for these people, is the, like, $100 deluxe edition where you get this extra item and a fancy bonus of coins or whatever, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that would... Then you finally get to play the game like they felt like it should have been, right? Um, Or, you know, that's the perception sometimes. Anyway, that is the... That is the problem they're trying to solve here, is that making games is expensive, we have to pay all these people, we have to develop all these assets, and then when you want to continually update a game over and over all the time, there just isn't that continual funding source just from sales. I have a light rebuttal, because I don't think you're wrong. I mean, the math proves that I'm not wrong, but there's definitely room for interpretation (laughs) in what I'm saying. Yeah, but my light rebuttal is that that Candy Crush doesn't fit your narrative, but it's the biggest, most profitable game in this category, right? Uh, But people have to make that game, right? So in terms of the amount of money that Candy Crush and like (laughs) Clash of Clans and those kind of games generates, right? It's ludicrous how much money is being taken in by those mobile games, right? And and one the would argue is looking the- at those games and another game, like let's say we'll use uh the most recent Star Wars, right? That's a triple A okay. title. Yeah it is. And the amount of work that goes into adding a level to the game, right? Like hey, oh you know what, add a room to this level is monumental compared to well we're gonna add a new set of puzzles to candy crush so i think you're uh so in the hmm, i'm trying to think how i want to answer this uh, yes you're right uh in triple a development which is what you were discussing mm-hmm. right that's the problem right i don't 
in mobile only development, which is kind of where you were talking about with a lot of the predatory microtransaction stuff and uh, not that that doesn't happen in AAA games also, but it's definitely yeah. a something where they looked at the mobile game stuff and were like, oh, this is free money. Let's just put it in our thing. And then they started doing it, too, because they could. Yeah. Uh, or because they needed to have additional revenue to justify making the game, right? Mm -hmm. The mobile game that costs very little that they just update continuously and then sell to, like, you know, a small group of people that pay ludicrous amounts of money, you know, there are 10 billion people that play Candy Crush, but actually only like a thousand of them are the people that fund Candy Crush. Mm -hmm. The ones that pay $80 million or whatever. Anyway, I don't, it's a, they use predatory tactics and I don't like it. Uh, I agree with you. Yeah, I don't, I I'm not trying a, to conflate the two markets, right? Obviously, they don't overlap in their customer base or their marketing strategies or even development a, cycles it, or any of that type of stuff. But, um, I don't want to leave out that that these AAA producers that are trying to make games that are completely different than those are are being a little bit sabotaged maybe by the market that is created by other games like a Candy Crush, right? People expect they get X amount of quote-unquote content, which is hours and hours of of puzzle matching. Well, sure. why is this other game only 10 hours long and it costs five times as much? I only have to spend one ninety nine on this other game. I, also true. I think also the economics of the situation where people are willing to fund people to create a mobile game versus create a giant AAA game, the investment is so much higher. The potential return is also very high, but then you also have the issue of, well, I could invest X millions less and make a candy crush and then make so many billions more like this is a this is a win-win for everyone over here why should i invest any money in this other video game thing uh, i think i and, think and that, that sucks the air out of the room you know yeah yeah michael yeah i was going to say i think that one of the reasons why you why you have to separate the two and one of the reasons why the mobile gaming space gets such a boost is you have the the Starbucks effect going on where oh, what do you mean people well by that I mean that people are are willing to say oh it's free to get started um but the the effect that comes in is oh it's just a dollar 99 exactly right you have you have 60 dollars or if you were to come up with an, a, a deluxe edition which Nintendo has actually started doing with some of their switch stuff um the like fancy steel case 100 dollar additions but those those bigger price tags people see as an investment right like it's an actual amount of money whereas your dollar 99 you don't really think about in the same way right the same way that you you go and buy yourself a cup of coffee what can i yeah go ahead i want to i want to throw back to maybe all three of us here 15 years ago, a decade ago, the value of certain items is not understood. And I think this is still true today when they're available online. And I mean that in a certain way, like the value of a film, the value of a TV show, etc. When LimeWire and all these places existed that you could just have things. 
now as an older adult of <laughs> JJ said earlier, the boomer generation of gamers, right? Um, you say the value of this is that I want to be continually entertained by it. And so when Nintendo released a hundred dollar version of Super Smash Brothers, I bought it because I thought I want to make the investment in making sure that they have the money to develop the game that I really want the, for the Switch. When Star Trek came out on CBS All Access, I said, I'm going to subscribe to it. So my dollars go to, hey, that guy's account only watches Star Trek. He's paying $5.99 a month to watch Star Trek. We should develop more Star Trek. And in the Candy Crush, and I, I hate to use them as an example because they're probably the least offensive of the genre that they spawned, Saga that's what you're saying, right? The dollar is lost. The value of it is lost of these other bigger games, maybe. I, I guess to pick up on, on Michael's point here, I don't know that I think it lost is the right word. I, the, the issue is the hurdle to get someone to spend the money is very low because they're like, Oh, well I paid like three bucks for this coffee. I can definitely pay a dollar 99 to get like, six levels boosts in my mobile game and it's not going to be a problem. Oh, okay. And then they don't, you don't, you don't register it as a, like I made an expenditure here. You just like, Oh, I just like did this little thing. Yeah. And then you look at your credit card bill at the end of the month and you wonder why is it so high? Oh, I bought this dollar 99 thing 70 times. And that adds up, you know? That's that's the the part I think in in how they're monetizing these games that gets you it gets you in the door right where in order to get in the door of the sixty dollar game you have to pay sixty dollars or you know whatever on sale still a substantial sum of money to get the in the door of these mobile games frequently you have to pay nothing you just have to download an app and then you're probably giving them all your information or whatever which is you know maybe a secondary cost but. You know, you download the app from the store, it costs you nothing. And then you start playing and then you're like, oh, well, I think I played this for like six hours on the train or whatever. I could, I could give them a dollar ninety nine. Yeah. You know, that, and then that's how they've, now they have gotten you, right? Yeah. It's an interesting environment that has mutated from games like Diablo three offering monthly cosmetics for playing the game, right? To, Oh, there's monthly cosmetics for 99 cents in Pokemon Go. Don't you want to match your Pikachu? Yeah. So, it's a weird yeah. uh mutation. So, I I think you are it is that was a great pick because of like look at all the stuff we ended up talking about here <laughs> that didn't even necessarily <laughs> end up really aligning with what you said but yeah. like it's it felt, it's true because it's a huge topic it felt weird to pick a thing that i couldn't say well i like this trend it was just a trend that like that changed and affected every gaming thing and see even some personal stuff that i touched this decade and so it was a weird it was a weird pick but i'm glad you're right it, it touches everything it touches everything. uh who's next some, somebody volunteer i can go all right. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, so I, I kind of had two things, and we we did kind of get into one of them a bit in that discussion, which was just th sort of the rise of mobile gaming. 
Um, but the other one, I'll, I'll, I'll do the other one and we'll switch gears a little bit. Um, I'm going to piggyback on something that you picked for your year, Andy, and say that one of my things of the decade is the MCU. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great. It's more pick. defined. Like yes, it. it is my, definitely more defined than my thing of the year, which was just like, I like Disney. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was just trying to think back of something that has just like suffused pop culture over the past decade. Uh, not just pop and, culture. I mean, and uh, well, it, it created pop culture. Exactly. Like it, it is version, pop culture. Yeah. Uh, other than the first two movies, which were both in 2008, everything else has been in this decade. I physically know people that beat me up for reading comic books that were like, bro, don't you even like Captain America? Later in the decade, do you do you still know those people? I I know of them. Okay, you know, and it's just That's like good. holy cow! Yeah, yeah. What happened from the M from from then to making films that were you know relatively they weren't dark, but realism I guess was added to these universes and all of a sudden a new version of pop culture is born and I don't realism? Uh, I, I, ho- I hate sounding like that guy was like these are not real fans because, but they because they are they're fans of something that was created that you know is not entirely what I'm talking about before like comic books and stuff but um, God Michael where along the path did you say the MCU <laughs> When you were looking at the the decade, mm, I'm trying to think. When did that even get get coined as a problem? When, when it first started out, I don't know that anyone knew that it was going to be what it was. I would say that it probably wasn't until that first Avengers film that people really started to realize there's actually something here. I was going to say once they started laying out their phases, like, and they were all, it's like, here's phase two and there's 70 movies in here or whatever. And people were like, oh, this is just going to be a thing they're going to do forever. It's like, yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. And that was, that coincides because that first Avengers was the end of phase one. Yeah. And man, that movie was a phenomenon at the time. People think, uh, well, I guess, I mean, Endgame, you know, technically made more money or whatever, but the, it felt like at the time being like, you know, a, you know, a comic book fan and, and a, a nerd in these kinds of situations, all of a sudden it was like, oh man, this is like the stuff I dreamed of when I was a kid. But also like, having been a person that sat through Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies and Sony <laughs> X-Men movies and, and yeah. you know, well, like, you know what, you know what the difference was? And, and I think this, this harkens back to in stark contrast to what we were talking about last week is having one person with an overall vision for where everything is going. But also going from uh, no one's, uh, well, I mean, a lot of people saw Spider-Man, right? The Tobey Maguire ones, but mm-hmm. going from no one's really talking about it and all the shirts in Hot Topic are still bands to now the MCU is out and all the shirts in Hot Topic are about Marvel. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm using yeah. that as a microcosm of an example, but that temperament shift in national culture, not just pop culture, is stark. 
Oh, I mean, Tony Stark. Yes, I made that joke on purpose. Well done. Well done, <laughs> gentlemen. Slow clap. Uh, the, it really goes along with the like de-stigmatization. That, man, I can't even words. <laughs> I can't even words today. I have to write that one down because I don't even know how you came up. D. De-stigmatization. Anyway, uh, things used to be stigmatized and now they're not. I can't even spell what you did here. I forgot the G. (laughs) Of, you know, the idea that, oh, like comic books are lame and, you know, generally nerdy things are now popular and cool, you know, among the wider populace. Uh, gaming becoming more accepted. That used to be a pretty niche kind of like relatively nerdy thing to do. Walking around in nineties cartoons shirts because the MCU exists, right? Like what? Yeah. I mean, like D and D is gigantic and super popular. You guys, it's part of one of the biggest shows in, in the country, at least this country, maybe the world with, with stranger things. Right. Yeah. And, and that is a deeply, deeply nerdy thing that exists like in from the 80s that was like shunned in basements and now that thing is taking over like that whole process of all of this you know in some ways can certainly be tied to the way the mcu has brought all this stuff out and said like hey this stuff is cool look at these are good stories so i think it's a fantastic pick i i think it's because it was unapologetic in what it did we're gonna make it we're going to make it the way we want to make it and we're going to make it for the people that understand it and as well as making it as big as it should be. It wasn't a Punisher TV film. Right. You know. Yeah. Good pick, Michael. That leaves one. Man. I don't know if my pick could possibly be as good as either of yours. <laughs> I think that, so I'm going to skew in a decidedly more gaming direction than I think either of you did. I love it. Okay, good. Yeah. Perfect. Here at the end, this podcast finally is about gaming a little bit. (laughs) Don't Uh, sound too final. We're coming back next year, people. (laughs) You mean here at at the beginning? uh, That's right. At the beginning of this year, gaming. (laughs) Uh, So I had a couple ideas of things that I really wanted to. trends kind of again in the this decade that i really liked and that i hope continue uh but i think the biggest one at least for me personally like the games i played the stuff that happened i think is the rise of like hey it's okay for video games to be really hard and specifically the stuff that happened in these kind of like dark souls type games and the meat boy type games right yeah you know what's those games uh, specifically talking about meat boy here is like that game is really tough and for a long time the trend in gaming kind of felt like hey what's important is you got to have a lot of good tutorials you got to make sure everyone can see the whole game get from the beginning to the end see all the parts it's so cool that you can experience everything and then you know, a game like Dark Souls comes out and says, actually, what's going to happen is you're going to die 10,000 times. <laughs> that was the PlayStation 2 metamorphosis was at the beginning of PlayStation 2. They were still kind of PlayStation 1 games, right? Where it was like 
gaming figuring itself out for your home console and games were kind of good, but not great game. And then they were a little hard. And then PlayStation two said, okay, make sure that basically as long as they hit X every few seconds, they're going to win. And like it continued, you know, shooters, every game had regenerating health and then you got regenerating health and regenerating and if you just duck behind this low wall for a little bit, all of a sudden it won't matter that these 800 monsters swarming around you. It, and all this sort of stuff kind of just kept going. And it, not that those games are it's easy like necessarily. Dynasty but, Warriors model of just like hack and slash stuff, but apply it across the board. And, and it, not every game did that, but definitely it became kind of a trend, right? It was the popular thing to do. And then, you know, games like, uh, you know, I keep talking about Dark Souls, but that was the one that really affected me. What year and, did Dark Souls come out? Uh, I'm going to guess like 2011. Okay. No research? Uh, 2020? Nope. <laughs> Some, something like that. Uh, that a game like Dark Souls comes out and actually it's like, you know what actually is important? The player needs to do the learning. They need to get good. You, the player, need to figure this out. Not us. We set the challenge, you figure it out. And if that means you have to die 10,000 times, your problem, <laughs> you know? And that's, that's kind of a pendulum swing, though, because if you think back, games used to be unforgivingly hard. Absolutely, right? You talk about, like, the phrase used to be Nintendo hard, right? Yeah. It's like a game where you have no idea what you're doing, but you die 50 times before you can cross have, the... Have you ever tried to go back and play Super Ghouls and Ghosts? That game oh, is hard. Yeah, try and do yeah. it with a cart that doesn't have a working battery. Ugh. So you can't. That's what I just heard. <laughs> uh, you find out later that the battery's not working is what my point was. Bummer. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a bummer. Uh, but that's... And that trend was like, hey, it's okay for the game to be hard. Now, if you want to have a good tutorial also and then still let the game be hard, that's fine. If you want to, like, ease people into the difficulty, that's also fine. But if you also just want to make a game that at the start is like, no, you figure it out, and barely any tutorials at all, that's also a thing and can be good. Uh, and I think that that is a really cool way of thinking that helped inform a bunch of other stuff. And I mean... We were talking about that Star Wars game, Andrew. You know that game has been described as a Dark Souls type game? I have heard that and I'm excited by that because I haven't played much in the Dark Souls genre. And I think that skinning it in Star Wars is more likely to get me to try something that hard. I would second that sentiment. You know, I think like both of you guys are over scared of being challenged. And you should just play Dark Souls because that game is still great and holds up. You know, <laughs> I. I I do like a good tutorial. I like a separate tutorial mode, though, where the games used to start off and it was like, here's the beginning of the game. You're getting some story while you teach you how to press the X button and the B button and the circle. You know, like, I get it. But maybe instead of this, walk me to an area and then just teach me everything all at once. Yeah, I'm not the, I'm not sad about having a tutorial as long as it's not a, an hour of gameplay or yeah, just leave it out. And I mean, some games still to this day are rife with that problem, right? I mean, go back and look at some Final Fantasy games released this decade. They tutorialize you for a good four hours. <laughs> it's like, oh, here's a little thing. And then you play for 20 minutes. Here's another little thing. And, and 
So like that problem still exists and, and not, you know, tutorials are great, but saying that you have to have one means you have to have a game that has this first hour or whatever, where you can't play the full game. I think maybe and, your trend isn't just dark souls. I think your trend might be deeper. Your trend might also be letting games be just be X, right? Not letting games be harder. But also letting games be shorter, letting games be more designed. Like, I don't think without Dark Souls, I think your good thing, Dark Souls, let games do this, right? Let games be hard. Okay, well, then if they can do that, then I can make a game called The Witness, which is just like an impossible puzzle game. Yeah, a game that's literally nothing but a bunch of line puzzles for hours. Right. Or I, like that I, wouldn't exist either, I don't think. Or there are games and there's an entire genre of games that people call walking simulators where literally all you do is walk around. That's the whole game. Yeah. And I, you know, people say that derogatorily, but like if you enjoy what they're telling you and what is happening during that walking time, that's fine. That's a game. It's it counts. You know, it doesn't have to be bad. And if a game wants, to, if a person has this vision for this one hour game, that is a perfect one hour of time where you do this thing and then you get to the end and it's great. That counts. What's I, wrong with that? I do believe that, that your, your pick here of Dark Souls is responsible for broadening the market, right? Of saying, yeah, Certainly, okay, we all like modern warfare, but what if we didn't have to play modern warfare because there were other things for people that liked papers, please. You and, know? and it not just the case where like not only do other people like those things, people kinda always knew that like, hey, there's a niche market over here that likes this kind of thing. But also sometimes you can make a game about a samurai running around in Japan slashing your sword all the time at like monsters and demons and stuff, and then make a boatload of money too. <laughs> and then people are like, oh, I can do that and make a ton of money? Well, that game is crazy. Who would ever play that? Well, then maybe they'd be willing to play this other weird little game that I want to make. And th then I could make a boatload of money doing this. And it gives people the, I think you're right, it gives people the freedom to say, well, like, that did well. Why couldn't this? Mm-hmm. Yep. As long as it's made well, right? Uh, and then of we course. get back to the monetization problems. But I don't think Dark Souls has had those types of problems. They made... no a quality game and then said this is the game. Uh and then they have released DLC and it's typically like here is more game. Not like here is the end of the game or a section we took out or whatever. Right. It is like hey, do you like this game and you want to keep playing? What if there was a new place for you to go? And then the people that are playing are like, yeah. Beautiful. That was a beautiful set of items. I think it's well wrapped. I like it. I want to thank you guys for being the end of this decade in our, in gaming. And the beginning of this new one. And the beginning of a new one. Good point. Why do I keep going to the end? We we've been looking back a little bit, but we're also, you know, thinking forward. I think it's gonna be a good one. I think it's going to be crazier than the last one as markets for games have expanded, not marketplaces is the thing I mean to say, right? Marketplaces for games are expanding. 
people are making their own homebrew consoles into real consoles, like a la the the little one with the crank, you know. Uh, or Nintendo has decided to create a whole new genre of console with the hybrid console. Games trying to monetize themselves in brand new ways while people also make fantastic versions of old games like the Battletech people did this at the last little bit of the decade here. And hopefully at the beginning of the next one, they make a new one. It's going to be nuts. Do you guys, do you hope for any maybe trend or game or something kind of, kind of like that to pop up in the beginning here of the new year? Well, one, one trend that I am, that has been kind of hit or miss for me, but I am glad that it's finally coming around to something that has been clamored for for so long is the trend of doing remakes specifically as it applies to Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting answer because definitely they have been ma- remaking games for quite a while here. Sure. HD, I right? Think, Everything HD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this is just the first case where they have taken such a sacred cow off the pedestal and they're like, all right, we're going to do it. God bless them, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if yeah. I would want to do that. The risk is so high. You have to be impressed by it. Yeah, after so much time. Well, it, it's not even just the time. What if they had done it with Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VIII? Those are well thought of games, but the risk of like, ah, eh, well, they kind of screwed it up. That's that's the reaction that people will get. What happens when Final Fantasy VII <laughs> isn't yeah. what people want? I'm not saying they're not going to make a good game. I'm saying, yeah, the sake JJ said it, right? Like the golden calf. Yeah. What happens when they chip it? If yeah, they chip that's it. A, I, that's I don't want to be negative one. about it. I, I it looks good from everything we've seen so far. Um kind of kind of along that line though. I have a uh something that I hope to continue to see. And it started a little bit near towards the middle and the end of this decade is kind of the revival of a genre that had been well than a genre, I don't know. Genres are stupid and weird, but the the genre of game that you, they are. They Sub, really are a problem. Subtitle. They are. Uh the the resi- revival of what used to be called the CRPG, which stands for computer because it doesn't really mean anything and that's a stupid anyway, that's the genre I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. Those games they kind of stopped making them at some point in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh-huh. And then they kind of just didn't make any more of them until like 2011 and 2012 and those Kickstarters kicked off. And then none of those games came out until like 2015. And then they were like mild hits, but not amazing. And but the fact that they kept doing it and then we were ended up being treated to games like Divinity Original Sin 2 and Pillars of Eternity 2, 2 and even so far a game like Disco Elysium that are like, man, just really cool, interesting takes on this thing that didn't exist for like 10 years. Yeah. They kind of were like, Hey, this is a thing people like. And then they did it. Like, I hope that continues. And I know there are a few of those games in development, Baldur's Gate three. Uh, and I hope that they hit it out of the park. I would love to see more of that kind of stuff. Fantastic. Uh, 
I don't know. I asked the question and, and I've been fascinated by your answers, so I don't know that I've come up with a perfect one. But I think I would love I hope here's what I hope. I hope that the new options that people have in marketplaces mean that indie indie developers and more focused content like smaller games or shorter games start to bring in more of the market cap, right? Like uh I guess even BattleTech or or um who's the company that man I was just thinking of them. <laughs> Chucklefish, those guys, they make a lot of weird games. I hope those companies continue to to expand their customer base and and show off tech and ideas like you were saying with um Dark Souls changing the genres a little bit. I hope these little games and little developers with expanded marketplaces kind of force AAAs to rethink their monetization schemes and, and what they offer in games. That's a kind of a lame answer compared to yours. but Well, here, I know how to end this podcast on a classic We Were Gamers argument. Do you guys think that Dark Souls is an RPG? We don't have time. <laughs> Specifically, you know, actually, do you think that Dark Souls is a JRPG? Mm. It definitely came from Japan. I think it's an ARPG. But it's not Diablo. It kind of is, though. Mm. It's first player, but it's still kind of Diablo. I mean, it's third person, but it's not like over the head like Diablo is, right? Right. Sorry. Um, it's definitely not a JRPG. I, there are a I, lot of people who would say Dark Souls is a JRPG. No way. I don't know that I am one of them, but there are people that say that. Yeah, I think I would disagree with that, too. You level up. So? I mean, you level you, up in action RPGs, too. You put put your points into your stats. Do you know, action RPGs? You, have, you equip items. Uh-huh. You can buy them from vendors in town. Sounds a lot like, like an action RPG. You know, I I think that the uh, it comes from Japan. So, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, that's definitely a thing that people think. I don't know about it, but well, look, we can answer it this way: it's certainly no Skyrim. There you go. Hey, if you would like to send us an email in the new year, twenty twenty, asking us. Hey, what do you plan to do in this new year with your PC build basically almost done, except for the software episode that you haven't done yet, you liars? Uh, it's fine. <laughs> it's it's totally fine. <laughs> Want to find out what we're going to be up to in the coming year? Where would you contact us? You could do that at our email, and that's podcast at wewergamers.com. Please send us email there. We will read and respond uh, to you on this very program here that you're listening to. And we are on all the social media. That's at Weber Gamers on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Uh, you know, your Googles and your Apples and whatnots. And, uh, you know, 
let us know what you think and we'll be uh, keeping on with this train in the new year <laughs> welcome to 2020 everyone I don't have a, one of those kazoos you know What do you call them? It's not a kazoo with the flippy outy. Oh, the noisemakers. No, is it just called a noisemaker? I, I thought those so. were the things that like Tom Sawyer like spun around in his hand and they cranked. And those also make noise, but I think the thing you're talking about is it. That, I mean, that's what I would call it. Definitely makes noise. <laughs>